I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a mouse. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. This is the Beyond the Mouse podcast, the podcast for all things Disney, for NPR, Illinois, Community Voices, and for the Front Row Network. I'm your host, Craig, joined today by my co-host, Miss Vanessa Ferguson. Hello, and happy birthday! Aw, shucks. Thank you. And Mr. Brett Rutherford. Hello, and happy birthday! Aw, shucks. Thank you. And... <laughs> Welcoming back to Beyond the Mouse, my lovely wife, who allows me to do this show uh, week in and week out, Anna McFarland. How are you? Good. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That's right. It is my birthday. So it's funny because we established this whole like birthday bash episode kind of thing. Uh, immediately following my birthday last year. So it was like <laughs> the week after my birthday and Brett's like, I really want to watch big business. And I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, we could do that. And he's like, for my birthday. And I'm like, when's that? And he's like, in November. And I was like, oh, cool. I just had a birthday in September. And he's like, I know, but mine's in November. So we should do big business. <laughs> and we yeah. haven't stopped celebrating Brett's birthday. So I'm, <laughs> okay. your birthday is a welcomed, was it respite? Is that how we say it? Yes. That's right. Okay. And then we celebrated oh. Vanessa's birthday like in February, yes. I think. Yeah, because we were still celebrating Brett's birthday. <laughs> and we took a, a quick breather to say, oh, did Vanessa get older? She did. Oh, okay. That's right, and then it's back to celebrating breakfast. Brett. Yes. And now we finally get to celebrate Craig's well, birthday. It's about time, right? Yes. It, it has been uh it has been quite the year. And thanks to all of you lovely people on the Zoom because uh the show has just been so much fun. And then, of course, uh, having Anna there with me all of the time is just Aww. lovely and wonderful. And so, yeah, I'm a very fortunate guy to yeah. have uh, this much fun on a birthday episode. So thank you for yeah. that. I appreciate it. But yes. Okay. Now I have a, okay. I have a question. Okay. Yes. Now, when I was choosing my movie last year, it was a movie that was so completely near and dear to me. And I was scared to death that both of you would not like it. And I'm like going, and I'm, and I would, I'm like going, I was prepared. I was prepared, but I was so completely thrilled and overjoyed when you both watched it and enjoyed it. And we had a great time recording that episode. Now, now I do have a question, Craig. Um, my question is, is Mr. Holland's opus like a movie that, I mean, does it mean so much to you as like, you know, big business did to me that, you know, that you're really, really, really hoping that we like it? I'm just, you <laughs> That know. seems like a very leading question. What I will tell you, and it, it leads into uh, probably the reason why I picked this uh, for my birthday movie, is that it has been one of those films I saw when I was in high school the first time. Um, and from then I've watched it several times and every time it's a, one of those tearjerker type movies for me. I really love the impact it shows that one individual can have on a community. And uh, that's why I love it. Now right. I will say we've had plenty of different opinions. So I don't think it's one of those situations yeah. where if everyone here doesn't love it, then I'm going to be crushed. I will say that I know that uh, I brought in a ringer just in case because I know, Anna, you love this movie. Oh, I've loved this movie forever. I loved it since it came out and uh, we can get into that later, but it's it's up there in my top three movies of all time. 
Well, it's, you know, the thing is, it's your birthday and I don't want to be that person at all. You know, that, you know, that. So I'll do it. Damp- no, just, kidding. <laughs> just joking. Just joking. So, so I, th- I'm going to, I think I'm going to, in the spirit of birthday, happiness and joy for you, Craig, I'm going to do my very best to enjoy this film. Oh my gosh. Oh no, you don't have to at all. I mean, like you trashed uh, Tomorrowland and that that is also a near and dear movie to me. It's it's good to have difference of opinions. Yeah. Well, I, I get that. I get that. But you know, oh, I know we're not really getting into it yet. And I, I, I just feel bad because this is your birthday movie and I want it to be so positive. What was the other one you were choo- you were choosing between this one and what? Oh gosh, I don't even remember. Oh no, it was uh, because it was football season. I was thinking, remember the Titans? Those were the two that I had oh. thought of. Oh, you know well. what, Brett? I think a sassy Brett is the best gift you could give. So Absolutely. you just share I your want, opinion. I want full on uh, Brett. I want you to tell us all why we're wrong, and then we can tell you why you're wrong okay and then no, we'll just, all of we'll the just... listeners can continue this thought that uh you and i just have like back alley fights every now and then to get it out of our system well <laughs> back alley fights uh you know i think i think i'm going to um i will do my best to find the good points of this film and i'm and there's plenty plen- plenty 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 wonder okay i just can't even do that but anyway um <laughs> So let's just go on. Let's just go ahead and we'll see what develops. Okay. And then we'll find out what Brett's next movie is because I can't wait to hear about it now. Oh boy. So let's go to actually Vanessa first. Um, and can you talk about, have you, had you seen this film before, um, before I chose this? Or is this something you were coming new to? I think I had seen parts of it. Uh, on TV before. I thought and... this was another sleeping movie for you. Right. <laughs> no, I, I, okay. So I will say when I rewatched it, I had to go back and, and catch some parts where I was looking at my phone and I was like, oh, I don't remember why there was a funeral. Let's go back. Anyway. Um, so I remember watching it and I remember liking it and I remember being very sad. And then I remember there was this weird part with a student. And so that's, that's my one hang up, but overall, I I really do love this movie, and um, I really enjoyed it. And I cried. Oh my gosh, I just cried a whole bunch. I mean, like my dog was licking my face, licking the tears off my face, like "Mama, it's okay." And I'm like, I know, baby boy, and because I just, it's it's just very touching at the end of the movie. So so that was my first impression and kind of my rewatch impression. Yeah. And now, Anna, I know you've seen this a whole lot. So can you talk about maybe if not the first time you saw it or, or maybe or can your overall impression of the film? Sure. Yeah. I, this is one of the movies that I go back to. It's a comfort film for me. So whenever I need something to pull out, this is up there for sure. So I've seen it, I don't know, probably a hundred of times. Um, impression for me on this movie, I think the reason why it has such staying power is because music plays such an important part of my life. And so I saw this in 96 when it came out and that was like right when in school, you know, they're starting to get you into instruments and you're picking what you want to do. And like, I've known since I was little that I wanted to dance. I wanted to do music. It's just in my body. So 
I think watching this film and watching the students go through what they do with music and music education for me, it, it was, I could feel it in my bones from the minute I watched this movie and kind of made me think like, I want to do that when I get older. Like I definitely want to play an instrument. This is part of my life. It was super relatable. So first impression was like, wow, I, I want to do music. I didn't know I wanted to, and now I do. Yeah. It's, you know, it had a, a similar impact to me going back and watching it because again, I think it's, I get caught in this mindset so often that it's like, uh, especially when I was younger and I'm trying to work through it where it's like, uh, me, 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 like things have to, like, I relate everything that's going on in the world. Almost like sometimes I feel like the world revolves around me and certainly Anna can attest that, uh, I, I have been like that at times, but what I love about this film is that like George Bailey moment at the end. In fact, um, I relate that a lot to it's a wonderful life because both movies tear me up so much every single time when the community comes together and is like, no, your life wasn't a failure. It wasn't wasted. You have impacted so many people. And it's those touching moments that we can see that Um, certainly this time around, Vanessa, we're going to get into what didn't work for us. And uh, apparently Brett's going to be doing that the whole time, but we, uh, (laughs) but the, uh, the scene certainly with Rowena, I I have some rewrites to that scene from a 2021 perspective, certainly. And I think we can discuss that. Um, But for the most part, I enjoy how the film progresses and shows this 30 year career, this temporary gig that he gets at the beginning of the film that ends up becoming his life's work. I just absolutely love that. So Brett, was this the first time that you had seen the film or is this something that you've revisited before? No, I can, I can tell you that my first impressions was, you know, that I think I, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I mean, it hits home like you wouldn't believe because um, arts funding was cut while I was in school. Um, you know, like from junior high through high school, um, visual and performing arts um, were diminished. I mean, I think visual arts kind of just went by the wayside. And I think, you know, what in arts education is, it's so important. It's imperative in, 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 de- in development of, of children and young people and, and, you know, junior grade school, junior high, you know, high school. Because some people, when they're learning about themselves and trying to fit in or find a space in school, especially like when it gets to junior high and high school age, you know, not everyone can be a superstar jock. You know, there are some people who find the arts a way to find themselves and even, you know, find that as a career. But when things were cut, like in this film, I mean, it just hit home. And I think that you know, especially now watching it again, I think that it just was so sad. I mean, his life is, I mean, it's extremely poignant, but, you know, it's uh, at the end of this film, he's out of a job and the arts are not coming back. (laughs) And, you know, so that's, so that just hit a little too home and it's probably hit home even more so this time. But the first time around, I enjoyed it. I'm sure I did, you know, it did pass the tear test. And uh, yeah, so that was my first thought and then kind of where I am now. And then of course there's other thoughts too. We'll get to later, but it's a birthday. So 
you know, where's where's our little kazoos to go? Anyway, well, so. Craig got so annoyed with me last year that I threw him out. So. Oh, anyway, but we <laughs> I loved it. What are you talking yeah, about? Your face anyway. when I did it the eighth time was like <laughs> never again. Go back and play the tape. So <laughs> I, I do want to mention before we dive into it much deeper that this time, uh, having done a little bit of research back uh, for this episode. I found that there is the Mr. Holland's Opus Foundation. And so this is a foundation that exists in Studio City out in California. And actually, Michael Kamen, who wrote the score for Mr. Holland's Opus, is the one that developed this foundation. Uh, he has since passed, but his family is still actively involved. His son is still a member of the board. And you can donate to the Mr. Holland's Opus Foundation. And what they do is they provide music and instruments for underserved populations um, and giving those instruments into schools and that art funding into schools. So I wanted to mention that kind of towards the top here, because I think if you wanted to do something really fun and exciting to celebrate my birthday, go and give five bucks to the Mr. Holland's Opus Foundation. It's mhopus.org. So mh, like Mr. Holland, opus.org. And uh, yeah, go check them out because they have a really interesting story. I didn't know that they existed until a week ago. And now I'm super into it. The fact that this film and this music, uh, that that developed into something that would become a nonprofit that would be giving back to the community because it makes sense for me. This film is all about community. It's all about that sense of the individual within the community. And so I think that that's just a really cool thing. Speaking of the individual that is in the community, let's talk about Richard Dreyfuss in this movie because it did earn him an Oscar nomination. Uh, He did not win that year, but he did get nominated for playing Mr. Holland. And it's really interesting because at the time of the filming of this uh, movie, we always think about it like, how did they do the old age makeup to get him to look like he was 65? He was actually in his 50s, and so they had to give him young makeup to make him look like he was in his 30s. Really, the older age makeup, of course, they did have to add makeup to that final scene, but really, for the bulk of the movie that he's in the 80s, that's like real-life Richard Dreyfus at the time. So it is very interesting how they used uh, makeup techniques, and I thought you can see the age progression throughout, and also you can see the change in his character. Um, it's my birthday. I usually make you all go first when we talk actors. I want to talk about Richard Dreyfus first. You go ahead. What I love Happy is birthday. that he evolves from a, a gig, uh, you know, show person who just hates getting up in the morning, isn't driven to do that. And then you see, even in his first year, he's already setting up individual appointments with students before the first period. So he's already getting up even earlier to go and help Gertrude Lang, who would then uh, go on to become governor of the state. And, you know, it's just like you see this progression throughout the film and you get to know more about him and his individual story. Um, And I love that. I think Richard Dreyfuss just nails the way that you feel sympathy for him in every time he sits down at that piano and is trying to work on his own work, but he's something is in the way, whether that be uh, a new child who happens to be deaf, uh, whether that's um, schoolwork, you know, it's, there's like that scene that he's grading papers and he looks longingly over at his piano. So again, it's that call to say like, is this a life fulfilled if this is something you've always wanted to do and you weren't able to accomplish it? Well, it is because of course, by the end of the film, He's so rooted in that community, and you can tell that he's just so loved by so many people. 
And so I just love Dreyfus's portrayal in this. Uh, Brett, I'll go to you next. Any thoughts on Richard Dreyfus? Um, well, I think, you know, he, he's got the, uh, even when he was younger in the film, he sort of has the curmudgeon sort of, I don't really want to be here sort of thing. And I think that's, you know, I think that's uh, interesting. I think, you know, when you see a film, and I think we've talked about this before, that, you know, especially named actors or people that you are very familiar with, they kind of bring their work with them. So this is a little bit of a departure for him um, in some of the other films because, well, number one, he hadn't probably been the lead lead in a film for um, a while. Um, I think a little, yeah. Anyway, the the 80s, well, he had other diversions, (laughs) I think, in his personal life that that caught up with with his work and didn't make him perhaps as bankable or reliable. So again, this is a Disney film. So he was available and wanted to work and was, but they were able to get him at a good price. Um, so, you know, he is an Oscar winning uh, actor, isn't he? For the goodbye girl. He won for that, didn't he? So uh, yeah. So he has certainly the chops, uh, not the chopsticks. <laughs> anyway, that's a little birthday humor for you. He plays the piano. Um, so anyway, so I thought he was, um, yeah, he was, he was in it. <laughs> he, mm-hmm. You are right. He was an actor and he was on set for this film, uh, certainly. So no, I, I, I do. I think that um, it's cool that this is released uh, as a Hollywood Pictures uh, part basically the way that that works. So why are we covering this on Beyond the Mouse? Why is this movie uh, available on Disney Plus? So Michael Eisner comes in. They know that they want to start to create more adult content in addition to animated films. So that kind of burbs Touchstone. And this is Hollywood Pictures, which is even a, a different subsidiary subsidiary of uh, Touchstone. And it's basically made for more mature audiences. This is going to be kind of the vehicle that they use along with Touchstone to be able to put films into contention for things like Academy Awards. So this is a film that is released actually in 1995, but not really a lot uh, of screenings were had in 1995. It was one of those that was like a December release in select cities, and then it opened more nationwide in the the new year so this is that's why this is kind of able to be covered on something like beyond the mouse because it is part of that touchstone family so vanessa what are your thoughts on richard dreyfus well i am glad you cleared up the whole aging thing because i always thought richard dreyfus was an older looking gentleman and then i watched this movie i'm like no how how old like what did he look like in the 90s and um thank you you've cleared it up and i think they whoever did makeup did extremely well with him because it all was very believable uh i think he was great i i feel like with his portrayal though i'm i'm more moved by the character itself than anything specific acting wise that he did i think the moments that that he when he's acting that really gets me the most is when he kind of has this um like for example with the the redheaded student when he realized he's about to exit and you just you kind of see it in his body language it's like oh she's upset and i need to go fix this and it's those subtle moments give it up miss lang 
yeah yeah and he's like I meant for the day and it's like it's those moments where I think you can maybe see it in his body language maybe a little bit in his face that he's having this mental change of heart from I just want to get out of here and and this is just a job to oh I I really I care about for as another human like there's a human that needs my help and I really enjoyed those moments in this movie. And, and so I think a lot of that does go to Richard Dreyfus. I think it also goes to the writing of the, of the movie, the, the story. So uh, those hand, those two things hand in hand, I think, made for a very touching story with, with great moments. I should say Patrick Duncan wrote the screenplay. He was nominated for a Golden Globe, not for an Oscar uh, for this, though. But uh, yeah, so he did get a little bit of recognition on that screenplay, too, and kind of interweaving the story into the narrative of America, really, right? Because in the end, of course, the symphony that is produced by Mr. Holland is the American Symphony. So, um, Anna, what are your thoughts on Richard Dreyfus? For me with Dreyfus, it's the little things that he does where there's joy. I find myself just laughing and um, just uncontrollably with all the little things that he does when he makes a little off the cuff jokes. And I'd be interested to know if those are something that he added or if they're actually written in the script because of how humorous they are. Um, but his banter that he does with the actors is great. And I like seeing those moments of joy on his face when he's just playing and having fun. You can really tell that he's having a good time. Like what comes to mind is when he's marching in the band and he's has a little pep in his step. And like, you can just tell, like we've all been there. It's one of those really good days where he's just letting himself enjoy life and to be living in the moment. And you can see that through his acting and um, also those moments of sorrow in his life you can see. And so I, I really appreciate where he goes as a character. Now this is Mr. Holland's opus and you see it throughout the years and the progression of his life. There is one constant there, uh, and that, of course, being his wife, Iris. But really, he's surrounded here by a, a cast of characters that can change, move in and out. Some of them stick with him. William H. Macy is always there as the assistant principal, but then also as the principal as well. Jay Thomas as uh, the football coach. He maintains his relationship all the way throughout. But I don't necessarily want to take a bunch of these names and talk about them individually. What I'd like to do is maybe go around and discuss a character that you really enjoyed in this film that you felt really uh, helped make the story something that is larger than just a character piece from Richard Dreyfus. Because I have seen so many movies that are truly character pieces, and I wouldn't classify this as one of those. I think that this does have uh, a lot of really strong character ensemble acting going on in this as well. Anna, you got to go last last time. So now you get to pick whoever you want to talk about and kind of how that character works in the story. For me, it's, it's what came to mind when you said that is the actress that plays Gertrude Lang the way that she portrays that moment. And so I, I'll let you know, I'm, I'm an instrumentalist. I play the oboe and I've been there when there's a time when I'm trying to play and I can't get over that hump. And I actually, this part of the movie came out to me when I was playing the oboe. Um, when he says, we'll play the sunset and vision what you're doing and what she does um, as an actress and that, that feeling of, I need to be better. I want to play better. And I just don't know how to get there is super relatable for me. And so that whole scene when she's um, interacting with him has stuck around and stuck through me with me when I was learning how to play an instrument and it was um, poignant for me there. So that one comes to mind right away. 
Yeah, playing that stranger on the shore and that that melody, and it's just so so great. And so that actor is Alicia Witt, uh, who played young Gertrude. And yeah, so I completely agree. It's 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 a really um, poignant moment because again, that is when he starts to become a teacher. That is really his uh, his moment to think like, oh, I can impact somebody's time with me. Uh, I don't know if it's that he's thinking he's going to have this huge impact on her life. I think it's more that he can really impart his wisdom to some other people and th- that he could be a teacher. Um, Vanessa, what about you? Anybody in particular that you want to touch on? Yes. I love the character of Cole. And I I just even... And so I read that all the people who are deaf in the movie... Um, our death in real life, which I think is great. And certainly something that uh, our friend Steve Sykes talks about on View from the Back Row. If you haven't listened to that, you definitely should. That's a great podcast. And just how these um, children at that time uh, when they, they're portraying were not, were considered that they, like, they shouldn't be using sign language, that they, sh- they, they are just, don't, don't teach them there's something wrong with them and there's not. And you can really see how quick and how smart this character of Cole is and even is willing to try to understand music despite not being able to hear it, but maybe understanding it through lights and the feel of vibrations. And I just think that that story throughout this movie is just really wonderful. And of course it kind of peaks with, um, uh, Mr. Holland performing a a song for his son uh, with a John Lennon song and that oh if you don't cry during that what is wrong with you it is just a beautiful moment and I was in tears and I'm just like every time he's singing you know beautiful 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 with it but he's doing it with his hands oh every beautiful got me I got more and more tears with every time he did that so I just I love that character I know it's played by like three different actors throughout the film um but they were all wonderful and and what that i think that's one thing i like about this film is though as we'll get into this later that there might be a couple scenes that i didn't care for it's almost like this movie is just a series of vignettes and and like so what anna picked out that's one of my favorite scenes and then the scenes with cole are wonderful and there's there's other scenes like that that really speak to me but cole as a as a character um, is just wonderful. And all the actors who portrayed him, I thought were great. Yeah, let's dive into that a little bit, because I think uh, I noticed so much more this time. And maybe it's the fact that I have a son this time watching through this. But you can really tell that even from the beginning, he's not he being Mr. Holland, uh, Glenn Holland is not excited about the the birth announcement, like he's not excited about learning that she's going to be having a baby, at least not in his acting. Uh, obviously, we have that really hilarious scene from the hospital, which, by the way, randomly want to throw this out there. He has his students going with him to the hospital, but this is not a time of having cell phones or anything like that. I, I so, thought of that too, but this is what I figured out. This is the backstory that I came up with, okay? Okay, that yeah, so we need he, to know this. This is what I came up with in behind the scenes. So he knows it's time, it's the period of time where he has to teach driver's ed, and he tells them, go ahead and wait in the car. And then I think 
he gets a phone call or like the secretary comes and hands him a note and then he starts running and he yells get out of the car and then the guy runs to the passenger seat and he gets in and starts driving instead because i thought that same thing i thought why how would he so i don't think he is giving lessons and then realizes his wife just had a baby i think he finds out before he even gets into the car you're welcome for coming up with this side story all right thank you because and the screenwriters thank you as well because this time i was like i was watching it that had never that had never played weird for me at all up until this time watching it. And I was like, wait, wait, this doesn't add up. Like, why would he have the students in the car with him? Like he ha- would have had to get, he would have had to be on a landline phone to get this information anyway. So, um, but no, then of course he's excited there, but then you see this uh, just defeat in him when he finds out that his son is deaf and cannot connect with him, cannot, doesn't really even put in the effort to connect with him. And so I love that, that we get this kind of like a little bit of a villainous turn in the 80s, really, because that other scene that we were alluding to earlier with Rowena also takes place about this time. And you see that like, it's kind of those trials and tribulations, but of course, that connection that he has with Cole doing the concert for the deaf that is where that really hit me this time too, Vanessa. I mean, it was like one of those where I'm like looking over at Anna and like seeing if she's watching to see if I'm crying because I'm trying to be like, (laughs) (laughs) just let it out, Craig, (laughs) you know, the whole time. But, but yeah, no, I totally, totally agree with you there. Well, it does. It just hits different. And just something to, to mention is that I think every time in my life that I've watched this film, it is read differently. So when I was younger and I'd watch this film, it was because I was interested in music. Um, You know, in my 20s, I was watching this film. It was because I was really relatable to some of the characters and starting jobs. And then now watching it, I was relatable as a parent and watching the struggles that they're going through. So uh, I think it's just neat how it grows with us, too. Yeah, should mention that the actor's name is Joseph Anderson. So good job, Joseph. You did a great job as Cole at 15 years old. Brett? Anybody that you want to mention that you enjoyed in this film as far as the ensemble is concerned? Yes, well, um, Olympia Dukakis is Principal Jacobs because, because, I mean, I have have, uh, teachers in my family, a long history of teachers. And so, especially, you know, kind of her first, uh, her first orientation uh, with Mr. Holland is, you know, well, some, some people, some professionals, some teachers take this really seriously and it's and then they're you know they go back and forth throughout the you know throughout the course of the movie but i you know she's a great presence and i enjoyed that and kind of what she brought to the professionalism of of teaching and kind of gave him a little bit of a what for right from the get-go so i enjoyed that and that moment at the end looking at her picture jacobs would have fought this uh you know like that I love those interactions that they have with one another. I love that at the beginning, she makes that quip about how he's the fastest one out of the parking lot. Like I've never seen anybody beat my students out, which by the way, she says that, but that's during the time that he's like putting in all this extra effort with uh, Gertrude Lang. So, I mean, like, you know, I think that's a little bit harsh on him a bit, but uh, I do enjoy that. But then of course they, they determine that like they get this bond. And so, when she tells him that she's going to be retiring, that really hits hard for both of them. And that's an emotional scene. So I do really enjoy her uh, quite a bit throughout this. 
me, I get, uh, I went last because I could probably pick so many people in this movie. Obviously, it's one of my favorites. This is Terrence Howard's first uh, on-screen appearance as Lewis. And so, of course, he will go on to have this huge career uh, ahead of him. But I'm going to pick kind of the devil and the angel on Mr. Holland's shoulder. And for me, that is uh, the devil being the assistant principal who then comes to the ranks of principal played by William H. Macy. And then of course, the football coach uh, played by Jay Thomas as well. And what I like about this is that so often, and it, it is a trope, certainly that they, they do, especially in those 80s scenes, which I think that Vanessa and I are gonna work on rewrite, rewriting here in just a moment. Um, they do the trope of like, let's put the football players in the musical. But I will tell you that at my high school, that absolutely happened. Like that is 100% how one of the, we had two musicals every year. One was done by the choir director and one was done by an English teacher. And the English teacher almost exclusively would cast the football team uh, in order to do things like boost ticket sales and boost uh, some publicity for that. So that is a trope that happens in the film, but it makes sense. And I love that they tie in the fact that he uh, took modern dance as a minor. And so I like that these two who are potentially competing for resources or not seen as uh, people that would ne necessarily get along, start a friendship right from the beginning. And they're together all the way throughout the 30 years of his teaching career. So I love seeing that relationship grow with the football coach. I also enjoy the respect that is shown uh, amongst the two between Macy's character uh, and Holland. Of course, at the end, you have uh, the principal having to fire Mr. Holland, and that comes to uh, quite a head in that meeting. But for the most part, I think that there is this kind of unspoken gratitude between the two actors that plays for me. William H. Macy is just one of those character actors that uh, one of the best actors of our time. I mean, he obviously has been award-winning. He's done some amazing work. And this is one of those roles where it's even hard to recognize that that's him in this role. Vanessa, yeah. you thought the same? Yeah, I, I didn't recognize him at first. I was like, who is this? He's so familiar. But but I think you're right. He, do, he does those parts so well, even though... Um, they may not be the most likable, at least in this movie. He did it really well. And, and I like when at the end, when the music, the orchestra is playing, he kind of has this look of like, oh, look at that. Look at, oh, wow. You know, he kind of, he's in it. He's into this performance. And uh, I think most, uh, I think other stories we've seen where the bad guy is mad at the end. And he's he's not necessarily a bad guy. He's just is a different set of priorities and he's put in a difficult situation and we are all unhappy with his decision, but um, he's not necessarily a bad guy, but, but there you go. Yeah. Well, I mean, and he thinks he's doing what's right. Right. And yeah. so, so did a lot of those school administrators when Brett was mentioning things like arts funding cuts and things that happen, there are decisions that do need to be made. And these people don't necessarily see themselves as the villain. They feel like they are doing what's best for the kids. And it just so happens that they are likely wrong, uh, according to everyone here on the zoom for <laughs> yeah. sure. So Hello, yes, thank you. 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, normally we would talk a bit about production design and all that. There really is only the the true, like there's a few set pieces in this film. I don't necessarily want to dive into production. What I do want to talk about is the use of uh, the time periods. And then I also want to talk about the music because I think those two things are really what drive this film. Uh, of course, the storytelling is done through these like Vanessa mentioned these vignettes of time, but then also I think the music is such a driver of that. And as uh, I was getting set up for tonight, I noticed that at least one person in this household was listening to all the music of Mr. Holland's opus. Way to call me out. That's cool. So <laughs> I, I'll start with you. What is it about this music that uh, impacts you? Um, it's a personal note for sure, but uh, the reason. I mean, relatable to the film too, but the reason why it really sticks with me is because that's what I grew up listening to. It was fifties and sixties. And, um, like that's really my first exposure to music was, was that kind of music. And then classical, of course, as I started to play an instrument, um, and then being exposed to more music, uh, later on in life, we go through time. So for me, um, that's, that's really what makes it special on a personal note, but I love how it touches each time frame. And how it's so relatable to the music that he's teaching. He does a wonderful job as an educator to bring that to what people are really listening to. Yeah, and it's just such a, I mean, they paid the licensing uh, fees to get some of these amazing songs. Of course, (laughs) the Beatles are a constant throughout the film. But just some of those songs that are easily identifiable and relatable to the uh, time period that they're in. There's no Beatles. Well, there's a lot of John Lennon. They also have a... John Lennon, okay. He was a beetle. All right, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but uh His anyway. own catalog might be a little less expensive to get than the Beatles made. You are you mm-hmm. okay, that's that's accurate. I will I will go okay. with you there. Um but I'm even thinking about even in one of the transitions, isn't it? The transitions from sixty five to the seventies, I think is a, a Beatles song as well. But I, I could absolutely okay. be mistaken. <laughs> but I, I do enjoy uh, so much, like you were saying, this the soundtrack of the different eras and, and how that goes. Uh, Brett, any thoughts on the either the music or the time periods and how they were shot? I think it was interesting because you're for some of this film and with the intended audience, it's you know it's a it's a nostalgia trip, you know, and so it's kind of you remember that sort of thing. So so I think they were thinking of their audience when when that was going on, but it was telling the story and telling the story through music is again, you know, a great way to tell, especially this story. And it's about, you know, time passing and that sort of thing. So it's very fitting to have kind of the musical segues uh, going between the vignettes and the different years. So Forrest Gump comes out in 1994 and this is released in late 1995. I would have imagined that Maybe the scripts existed at the same time for sure, um, but I'm not sure that you could say like that this was a copycat movie off of the the sequence of Forrest Gump. But it does certainly play with time the same way. It puts your main character, your protagonist, in a lot of um, the time periods, but not as specified. Like he's not meeting with uh, JFK in, at the White House or whatever the case may be. Uh, or Lyndon Johnson, or whoever was president in Forrest Gump, I can't remember. Uh, but but it does still play with that idea of like one person's story within the greater American experience. Uh, Vanessa, your thoughts on either the time periods or the music, anything you want to talk about there? I know you're a musical person, so. 
Well, I did notice that I liked that I think it was like black and white footage that they were showing in between some of these scenes. And it's interesting because it's not what this movie is about, which is, I think that's what you're saying with the comparison to Forrest Gump, but even having those quick moments reminded me like, oh yeah, like these are things that my parents or my grandparents went through. Like this is, this was real. Like when you see the soldier kissing the ground, it's like, oh yeah, this is, this is very real. This is what happened. And people did live through this. So it, it was a way to kind of, I think, add some weight before you move on to the next scene um and of course again this is not what the the main plot of the the movie is about but i think it does give a little bit of depth to to the film overall doesn't this movie just make you want to go and hug a teacher i mean like really it shows like even in those time periods i'm thinking back to the uh the time during the vietnam war and uh, having to to think about like teachers going and seeing all these kids that they've taught go off to war. And of course, uh, Lewis in the film is killed in Vietnam and then um, they attend his funeral. And, and it's just like the, uh, I, I don't know, there's something about like the, the stories that a teacher has and the impact they can have on a person at such a impressionable. Oh, what's, impressionable. Thank you. I was like, what the, what's the word I'm looking for? Thank you, Brett. Uh, impressionable age you know that they really can make such an impact in in the world and uh certainly the time periods help distinguish that as well now i do think what we can do is start to and i certainly if you have other favorite scenes and things like that i I definitely want to talk about those but i almost think collectively we could talk about the rowena scenes now and get that bit out of the way before we go back to some of the other scenes so here is my issue with the Rowena scenes, having watched it uh, just very recently. I don't understand why the screenwriters have to make him somewhat attracted to her. I think that you could do that whole storyline where he's uh, having trouble in his marriage because he's dealing with a deaf child that he doesn't understand, and he's very invested in his work. And that he is blind to the fact that this high schooler is trying to come on to him. And I, I think for a, a good portion of the storyline, that sort of happens. But then towards the end, uh, they're kind of in this weird embrace. Are they going to kiss? He ends up kissing her on the cheek. It's like it's that that makes the it kind of weird. And they have to jump through kind some of. hoops. They have to jump through weird. some hoops to make this not seem really, really bad. So they jump through the hoop of saying that um, it is the senior class play because they want to make sure that in your brain, you automatically establish the fact that she's probably 18. Oh, And uh-huh. then, but then it's, it doesn't make sense because Mr. Holland is someone that is so uh, into his students and has so many stories with his students well, then when she auditions, he has to ask her name, right? But then later on at the diner, she says, when I had you in music class, I could just tell how much you cared about music. So he's had her in class before. 
but he doesn't know her name and she's a senior. Like this is the type of stuff now, like uh, that scene to me just does not work. And it really kind of, um, you know, Vanessa, uh, I think maybe even you made a joke about the fact that I always say movies are too long and this movie is two hours and 20 minutes long. This is a scene that I think you could either shorten immensely uh, you, if you wanted this story to be told, you can tell it in a different way that doesn't make it so uh, predatory, honestly. Like, there is, there is a much better way to tell this story. So I, I, thoughts? I, oh, go to the ladies for sure. But Vanessa, you're like jumping at it. Go ahead, well, Vanessa. Well, that's a very good catch. I did not catch that thing that you noticed, and I've already forgotten what it was. But anyway, because I wanted to share this part, that the part that really got me was when he's tells her she did a good job singing and then he goes up to he says can I go talk to her and then he goes to talk to her and then he's he's describing this character as wanting to be held and then he says um like something like do you know what that's like or whatever he says but he's the thing that he said that I hate is well, you have to, or you can't sing it. And I'm like, well, damn, she is an 18 year old high school senior. Her prefrontal cortex is not even developed yet. She does not need to know about these things. She is a baby. And I don't care if that's a legal age 18. She doesn't need to know about these things yet. She is a child. And so I hate that line. I don't know who wrote it, but I don't like it. It doesn't make sense to me. Now, maybe it makes sense in terms of his character of wanting everyone to play at this professional level and be really into the song, but I just, ooh, it gives me the creeps. It just, I hate that. And I, I had something like that happen in high school where I had another student. Uh, so you know how sometimes you have to do quick changes in theater and the student uh, was kind of like, like kind of stripping, like quickly and to get into her next costume change and just totally didn't care like who was around what adults were around and I was like hey 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 like you need to get your dressers to hold up the sheets so that you don't have to do this in front of everybody and she's she said something like well no this is what you do in theater and I thought no you're a baby like we are babies we're under 18 we do not have to do this this is not real professional theater we have our dignity we have our modesty that can be um addressed and and still have this show happen but not have to be put in a vulnerable position so so anyway so that's kind of me projecting a little bit onto this movie and that really hitting that line but I think I think you're right Craig I wish they would have written it so it was more of him wanting to catch that bus with her as a wistfulness of what could have been like the George Bailey of it's a wonderful life. Like, Oh, I just wish I would have known what it had been like to follow my dreams. Not so much that this going after this relationship with her. And I think they did do that to some extent in this film, but I could have done without any of the romanticizing. I did appreciate that he cares enough about his student to find her a place to stay so that she's not just going to go to New York and and stay at what she's saying the YWCA and I don't know what that was like at that time but it sounds like it'd be more stable to stay with a family that he knows so there are things in these particular scenes that I don't care for I think they were kind of on the right track but just sometimes they a little bit got off the rails with this particular scene I don't want to jump in front of Anna because I can tell that she wants to talk to us about something. But really quickly, the bus scene to me, that has to be the scene where 
um, he finally is less oblivious to what's going on. So you can have almost every scene that is taking place, you could have in this, and you can have her being like, oh, I loved you in music class. Oh, um, you know, you've inspired me to go to, like, and basically, like, working her way up. And then you can even have that really awkward moment where she's singing this Gershwin song basically to him while he's conducting. And that can be like, you could have it mentally be where that is when it clicks. And that's when he's like, he goes to the bus stop then not as like a, I'm going to go get her and, and run away with her, but as like a, you can't do this. Like that could be when, and maybe that's the, the academic advisor in me. That's when you like sit the student down and is just like, listen, you do have a lot to learn here. And, and, you know, like, um, I, I don't know. So, you know, I, I, I have other things, but I want to, I want to let you talk too. So please. Well, but all that Rowena stuff is just so cringeworthy. And even as I get older, it's even more cringeworthy. Every time I watch it, I get anxious because I know what's coming up. I want to pause so I don't have to watch the Rowena scene so I can skip it. Like I, every time I go through that um, athletic, what I'm going to do about the Rowena scene. But I, the only thing I can come to terms with is maybe they were trying to make it be like his muse, that that was what he was using for musical inspiration. Like even that for me is a stretch. I just think the whole thing is inappropriate. All of it bothers me. I, all the rewrites of it bother me. All of that is just super inappropriate. I hate all of the Rowena stuff. Like, let's just not. Let's just not even try. Like, if they want to say that he has something going on at home, if he's that's the problem and he's trying to find inspiration and go out, there's a million different ways to tell that story than the avenue that they chose, and I just think it was a poor choice on the film. And, and let this be a lesson to husbands everywhere that if you lie to your wife, she's still going to find out because well, but, exactly she knew, but, but, right? but, but here's, but here's the thing. Like they make it seem like this big deal. So first of all, he's writing a song in the, what you assume is the symphony to Rowena. And, um, you know, the, the wife finds out and was like, well, what's, who's Rowena. And then she finds the name in the program. But then doesn't care at all. No, she probably no, cares. There's no. No, payoff. she cares, Craig. She cares, but she has a child with needs, and this is a time where she. It doesn't sound like she has income, so she's just gonna see. Well, let's see what this Joker does, and then he comes home, and she's like, "Whoo!" Like, thank goodness he made it back. Now, I did appreciate that he actually did invite them to the party he said he was going to but didn't go to. So I'm like, maybe that gave her some comfort. But shes I think she was like, no, I'm not coming. Let's see what this Joker does. Luckily, he makes the right choice. But I, I think she knows. I just think that, like, oftentimes women are stuck in these kind of positions where you're like, well, I can't get divorced because it's it's going to be so hard. So I just got to see what this guy does. And so that, that actually makes sense to me but okay. I, again I guess, husbands I guess maybe everywhere me being the oblivious guy talking here like i would like to see some kind of blow up and not just like the the han and and leia oh, she I love probably you, chopped I know, up some glass and put it in his cereal the next day i mean there was a repercussion you just didn't see it because <laughs> us wives right. we know what we're doing you you husbands you just you leave us little clues and we're like scooby-doo we can find it like that so anyway yeah watch your salads if you do something wrong Okay. Okay. I will. I'm not going to ever get a salad ever. Uh, Brett, <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> well, but I should specify though, I'm not also going to be hitting on an 18 year old. So okay, cool. at least <laughs> anyway, oh, are well, fine that's, for you then. That's good. That's, that's good. <laughs> Brett, uh, we, I, I feel like I've iced very valid points and I will let us move on. Okay, great. Uh, so we should move on because, of course, Rowena doesn't even appear later in the. It's almost like the screenwriters were like, you know what? And I get that, you know, not all of this is filmed chronologically. I understand that. You know, they could have filmed the. Uh, they shoot, they could have done the last scene first. Who knows how they shot this? But the, the Rowena doesn't even show in the, in the later, and there's no allusion to her, this major story beat. He walks down the aisle and he's seeing everyone else. Uh, he sees Lang and he sees, um, uh, is it Bobby or Danny? Shoot, uh, the name. But he sees so many of these kids as he's walking down. And there's no mention of Rowena anywhere. It's almost like the screenwriter's didn't want to come back to that story beat. I don't know. I just think that you could probably rework that whole eighties thing, leave the Cole storyline in there because it's extremely valuable to the plot of the film. Um, but man, anyway, that's, that's Rowena that. didn't make it big. Okay. She, she didn't have enough talent. She couldn't get the bus ticket back. That's what happened, Craig. Okay. So, so not, not to throw shade at the actress, but over here, <laughs> Anna's watching it and was like, well, sure, she can sing, but she certainly can't dance. Yeah. <laughs> just call him like a talent. Scene. She's not. She's a threat. She's not a triple threat or a double threat. Yeah. One like, single well, threat. She's threatening. I don't know. <laughs> this is a very dark episode, by the way, and it is. We should maybe mention that we're recording this late at night, so this is when the time when anything goes. <laughs> oh, just wait. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. So uh, now I want to. Let's uh let's let's have fun with this. Let's say if you have a favorite scene or a scene that didn't work for you, we will talk about that because now I want to unleash the hounds. I want Brett to come at me Not and tell me why all of us it's still and I your birthday that this was posted in the Beyond the Mouse uh, podcast pals group and has had a very positive reception from our audience. So, uh Brett, why is our audience wrong? Oh, that's a whole podcast. No, I think, no, no, everyone has, you know, different opinions. And I, I mean, I enjoyed this, you know, the first time I watched it, but since that time, you know, I was really hoping that, you know, um, that we were watching another birthday film, but I am in the spirit of the birthday party that we're having. The hounds will not be unleashed yet, but may I go back to, um, the, a scene that I enjoyed. Well, yeah. I mean, so we have Alicia Witt as Gertrude Lang, and then we have the adult Gertrude Lang, and it's played by Joanna Gleason, and you so instantly get that connection. And, well, you know, theater people love, you know, Joanna Gleason because she was um, the baker's wife in Into the Woods, you know. And, and wasn't the students the original on Broadway? It was in the original Broadway production as well, the one that we all don't, I mean... We don't like her. I'm just going to say Alexandra, nope. I think she's in Into the Woods as well. Jean-Louisa Kelly? The one that sings. I think she was in Into the Woods. Oh, how cool for her. Well, how cool. That's exciting. But I I love Joanna Gleason in this because that's such a a wonderful moment. No, I think she played Little Red Riding Hood and was skipping. And then she was also the, the smaller 
princess roles, which they don't they don't dance. Another have- show where there's a predatory man wolf after no. her. What is with no. this? What is going on? Well, there? she has a type. <laughs> um so anyway. So yeah, so yeah, I enjoyed the Joanna Gleason there at the end and then and then her speech at the end is so touching. Yeah, absolutely. Any uh, other scenes that you wanted to mention, Anna? And I think what we can do is we can save the last scene for last, because uh, I think we can all talk about that for a minute. But um, other than, obviously, Brett just alluded to it, but just like the, I don't know, the feels of that last scene, I, I do want to talk about in a minute. But any other scenes you want to mention? Oh, gosh, there's, as Vanessa mentioned, and we've all talked about already, there's so many vignette parts that all come to mind. And I really do enjoy most of them. Um, I think the one that comes to mind first, though, when you said that I want to talk about is um, the scene where he's teaching the student how to play the drum. And for me, that's just so impactful because it's just fun. It's fun to see them playing with the rhythm. I think it's jovial. It's it's real life. It's um, it's just a fun scene that's really relatable. And if you've, you know, tried to find the rhythm in uh, a music class before, I think everybody can understand where they're coming from and how they use Louie Louie for that. It's a great soundtrack to, to play with it. And I, I love how the music goes with the story so well. And that's throughout this film. Like, I think that's why the music sticks with me so much all these years. But uh, I, I love that scene. I just think it's fun. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, and again, Terrence Howard's uh, acting debut here and he does a great job and that it leads to one of the more impactful moments of the the movie for sure. Vanessa, any thoughts? I know you're, you're contemplating there uh, this audio podcast. People can't see your contemplation face, but we can. She would have like those think bubbles above her head. If you could see, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, that's fun. Mm-hmm. Well, we've just already talked about so many great scenes. You know, what could I add to this conversation? I guess the the one scene that I really enjoyed was when he's it's kind of clicked with him. Like he's not teaching music in a way that's relatable to his students. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know his audience. And then when he starts playing modern day music, which is at the time like rock and roll and they're really getting into it and and I just really like that moment because it's like he's using his his talents but he's using his talents in a way that's finally relatable to his students and and that's and then he has such a joy about it I think this is the right when he finds out that he's gonna have a baby and he had been complaining about the job like oh they just you can't teach these students and now he's like wow this is really exciting this is really great I had it was it was so fun he was basically summarizing what he was saying that's a really cool moment for me because now it's like transition to he's not really giving up something he's gaining something he's gaining this experience so i really like that scene and if you look at trivia on mr holland's opus anywhere the first bit of trivia that seems like everybody runs with is that uh richard dreyfus actually does not like rock and roll at all and uh the electric guitar is one of his least favorite instruments but it is really fun to see that incorporation and and that's something you know like that whole like idea of uh pedagogy and trying to figure out like what it is that will relate to your students best that's something that is really important to be able to use as uh, a teacher of any level really But now let's transition to talking about the final scene of the film. And again, um, that it's just like, it is to me, it it is just like the end of It's a Wonderful Life. It's that community coming together 
and doing this uh, to show their appreciation for him and this culmination of his work. And it's almost like we want every teacher to get a, a send off. Actually, when we were watching it this time, Anna goes like, where's Sarah's send off? Because, you know, they, they fire the drama teacher as well at the same time. But it is just a remarkable way that they shot it. Uh, really cool how they brought a lot of the storylines together there. And it just gave me all the feels. So did anybody else have all the feels? I don't know. Anna? Oh, I mean, I always have so many, so many feels with that scene every time. Um, it is that it's a wonderful life, George Bailey moment where everybody comes to support. And I, you know, it's one of those things that you just, you always envision that happening in the community. And I have not wit. I mean, I've witnessed events like that before and it is special. And I think it's just one of those things that I try to keep in mind and it's good to go back to, especially, um, on those days, maybe you need just a little bit extra oomph or a little extra hope in your day. Um, it's just, it's beautiful. It's a reminder of why we do what we do and just the beauty of people. I think it's, I love that scene. Yeah. It's just so great. Uh, the two of you, any thoughts or final comments on this film? I don't know if we want Brett to end it. I don't, yeah, I don't think you want me to end it. So let's, um, okay. Well, I, I honestly, I will say that I have truly enjoyed talking about this movie and seeing it through your eyes, people who really enjoy it. And I enjoyed it the first time I saw it, but I don't know why that has changed. But I guess it's in some ways it's similar to, I just don't understand, Craig, how you can not like Pollyanna. I mean, it's beyond my comprehension how you don't like Pollyanna. And so I'm like going, is this how, you know, how I feel for this film? Is that how Craig feels about Pollyanna? And I was trying to understand that. And I'm like going, but then I had to go to not liking Pollyanna and seeing it through your view. So I didn't let myself go there. So, you know, so I guess if I were to be a cynic and to unleash the dogs for just a moment, I don't know. I just, it was too, it's too much. Yes, it is the end of the film, but it's too much. Again, we've had this discussion so many times. I don't like to be beaten over the head. I get it. I get it pretty quickly, honestly. So don't, yeah. So when you were talking about Forrest Gump, I'm like, going, oh, don't go into Forrest Gump because I'm glad that's not a Disney film at all because I'm like going, don't get me going on that one. But anyway, so I, it's just too much. Um, I understand, yes, and everyone is crying, and probably the first time I saw it, I'm like going, it's crying. But I just, it's cloyingly maudlin, and it's basically a sits bath of self-awareness. You know, I'm just like going, that's, if I were to put on my, you know, I don't know, New York critic or my serious critic, I'm like going, that's too much. Cloyingly maudlin, though, yeah, uh-huh, yes, mm-hmm. Vanessa, I'm sorry. Glowingly you're going to have to start using words I understand, Brad. Okay? Because <laughs> like now you're just making me have to Google a whole bunch of bath of self-awareness? I'm I like know. Going, I'm like, I did what the heck the, does I, that mean? I did get <laughs> the alliteration. Bath? A sits bath. But I'm just like going, because you just feel like you're overwhelmed. It's like you are sitting and marinating <sighs> in too, too much. Well, I, I will tell you. If, so if, anyway, so that's so that's where I'm unleashing the dogs. And now I'm going to go back to the birthday party, okay? 
I, I'll just say, uh, Brett, if uh, if the feeling you had watching this was sheer boredom, then that then we are on the same plane oh, as boredom. Pollyanna. And nope, this. it's not. No, it's not boredom. It's you know, it's disgust and too much, and yeah. Anyway, so um, but I'm, again, it's your birthday, so I'm not going to be that person. You know, at a birthday party once, I threw up because the cake was too sweet. So I don't want to, you know, do that and throw up on your birthday party. So, well, everyone threw up because the person that made the birthday cakes there for a while, it had so much sugar. So, you know, there was always a kid at each birthday party that threw up. But anyway, I don't want to do that. I don't want to throw up on your birthday party. Oh, my gosh. So, I'm not sure dark. that cake had sugar, bread. I think it might have been salmonella, but anyway. No, it was sugar. I mean, oh, yeah, give okay. lots of sugar to five-year-olds <laughs> and then six-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. And then run around. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. But that's that's yeah, that's a birthday story. And let's go back to Craig. Yes. No, I would say Vanessa, what did you think of the final scene? Well, I too am starting to have a change of heart about certain movies. Not completely, but I'm starting to consider it. So you, uh, Craig and Anna, have mentioned this being comparable to It's a Wonderful Life, which I don't know if we've talked about it on this particular podcast, but uh, Beyond the Mouse. But I have said before, I have some problems with that movie because George Bailey should have been showed what his life would have been like had he gotten to go on trips. Not like, what if he wasn't born? That wasn't his problem. His problem was he never got to go on trips. And he, I felt like in It's a Wonderful Life, he's going through his life and he's just not having fun at all. But in this movie, Mr. Holland's Opus, I feel like what, what I really enjoyed about it, and especially on the second viewing as an adult, is that whether it be through the writing or Richard Dreyfuss's performance, we see him enjoying his life. So it's, it's more to me about a story of, I didn't think my life was going to go this way. I didn't think I'd have a great life doing this, but I love it. And you really see that at uh, the end. And it, it comes to this wonderful moment where not only did he have a great time, but now he's realizing how much of an effect he had on all of his students. And he really feels their appreciation, which maybe he didn't realize throughout his life so i really did enjoy this movie i cried a whole bunch at the ending was a little surprised that his masterpiece his opus had an electric guitar in it because i thought oh i wonder if he was going to plan for that to be there back in the like 50s when he was originally composing but that's okay that's fine but i did like this movie it's not quite it's a wonderful life for me and i'm starting to reconsider if that movie is as frustrating to me as it should be, but that's for another episode. This movie in itself, I did very much enjoy it, and I'm really glad you picked it. Plenty of days mm. until Christmas, so you've got time to reconcile your thoughts on that film before we get there. Um, but thank you. This has been fun. Uh, it's it's nice to have a uh, spirited discussion about a film that you really enjoy, and certainly there are moments of it that I wish we could go back and change, but that's the thing about film, and, and it's something that um, talking to Brandon, our classics guy, about, you know, it's like there are certain, uh, you have to give certain leniency to films that may not look uh, correct out of today's lenses, but back when this was written in the 90s, might have been a bit of a different time and all of that, particularly when it comes to the the scenes in the 80s. Um, but for the most part, I, I love this film, and I love the message that it gives about 
the impact that one can have in someone else's life. And uh, to me, again, maybe I, it's because I went into education. I'm, I'm working in higher ed now. This is my 10th year. Uh, it's just something that is re- very relatable to me. And it always has been. It's something about the music that is very relatable to me and, and always has been. So I've loved this. I've also loved the fact that it was just the four of us chatting about a movie. Honestly, we've had some amazing opportunities uh, this past year, but some of my favorite moments are just us getting together and talking movies like we used to uh, back in the day. And so I'm really grateful that we were able to do that tonight for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and we didn't, honestly, Craig, we don't have to use your birthday as an excuse to do this. We can pick other movies mm-hmm. to talk about. And I have already picked out my birthday movie. Oh, oh yeah. That's good yet. to know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh. Mm-hmm. Don't mm-hmm. put the pressure on it. Mm-hmm. No, it's it. great. Mm-hmm. No, nope. it's going to be amazing. You are just going to love it. I cannot wait for you to watch it. Well, but... I can't wait either. Wow. I know. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, I can't that wait for Craig's next all the way until <laughs> all the way until like December or maybe January or February. What I like what you have your actual birthday and now I think you have your podcast birthday. So I feel like we have to do it in February, right? so far away <laughs> no i'm kidding January i'm kidding could be boring i don't know you know i'm like going you know i won't i won't go into anymore because this is craig's birthday so we have to make sure it's all about craig but isn't it always just kidding it's your birthday <gasps> oh, wow had to get, had to get that, one in at least what, once huh? in the, in the morning, I guess. we'll blame that one on the hour Well, I'll tell you that uh, it has been a heck of a 34th year going into 35. I'm excited about uh, what we have coming up and really grateful to all of you for listening. So if uh, somehow this is your first episode of Beyond the Mouse, I know that there's a first for everybody. So definitely go and check us out on Beyond the Mouse on any podcast app of your choice. You can uh, find us wherever you can listen to podcasts. Also, we are part of NPR Illinois, so you can find us on nprillinois.org as well. Well, and uh, we are part of the Front Row Network, so you can find them on all social media, specifically our social media. You can find us on Twitter, Beyond Mouse, uh, Beyond the Mouse Pod on Instagram, and then Beyond the Mouse Podcast on Facebook. And also, please do join that group, Beyond the Mouse Podcast Pals, because we love interacting with our listeners there. I will tell you, uh, I usually am busy promoting this show on my other Ted Lasso show because we've had some great interviews that I've been promoting over there. But uh, this week, you can hear an interview on my Peanut Butter and Biscuits, a Ted Lasso fan cast. Even if you don't watch Ted Lasso, you still will probably enjoy this interview. I had the opportunity to sit down with Dan Harris of ABC News, and he has actually announced that he's going to be leaving Good Morning America very soon, but he is uh, spending full time on his meditation company, 10% Happier, which is something that I am uh, very much invested in as a user. And so it's a really fun conversation. So you can check that out if you go search peanut butter and biscuits. And again, even if you don't watch Ted Lasso, I think you might get something out of that conversation. So definitely go and check that out for me as well. Any final thoughts as we start to wrap up? Anna, anything? Yeah, the one thing I want to mention that I don't think we've talked about yet is um, when we hear the title, Mr. Holland's Opus, you know, immediately we think of the piece of music that he's writing and how he's sitting down to create. It is about this opus piece of music that he's creating. For me, what kind of the aha moment this time through watching was that it's not the opus that he's creating in terms of music. It's the opus of the people, the performers who are playing his music, 
who he's assembled together to create his music piece. And so um, it was just kind of one of those aha moments. And I hope that, that they meant that too, when they wrote it, but if not, then it left me with a really good nugget that I appreciate. Absolutely. What a, what a great take there, Brett, any final thoughts as we leave this birthday bash and we start getting into, so if this drops on like the Friday, uh, so that would be like the 24th or 25th or something like Uh that. Does that mean that we start, are we in the birthday bracket for Brett starting uh, September 26th? So last year was kind of, you know, our launch for the birthday bash season. So, you know, it might have been a season of one, but since you've asked, it's going to be a season of at least two. So, you know, I have the pressure of finding a movie. So, um, and the whole birthday bash thing I was doing, you know how I love alliteration. So it was big business birthday bash. You know, I'm like, I have to find a B movie. I mean, a good movie, but it has a B in it. Okay, fair enough. Um, Yeah, B movie doesn't work. It's not Disney. I'm sorry, I'm not aware of that Uh, studio. I'm not aware of that studio. (laughs) Vanessa, any final thoughts as we wrap this up? Oh, I feel like as soon as we hit stop, we will be in Brett's birthday bracket with bees. But I will say, Craig, I did notice that you gave out your age when you were describing your birthday bash. And I want you to know that when my birthday bash rolls around, I am just like the store forever 21 (laughs) (laughs) i love it i love it this has been so great thank you all uh for listening thank you to all of my co-hosts this has just been so much fun so for beyond the mouse i am craig i'm vanessa i'm brett and i'm anna and we will see you real soon in the front row maybe in the front row of an opus oh wow can you be in the front row of an opus i don't know is this where we sing happy birthday? Happy birthday to you. Oh, wait, is no it? Oh, wait, no, it's copyrighted. No Never mind. Never no mind. Just a, a hearty handshake and yes. happy birthday to happy you, birthday, No, wait, wait, wait. It entered public domain. Like, really, this is a thing. It did. What? No, it, like, it was ruled to enter public domain. Oh, it really oh. was. That's good. Happy birthday, birthday to, to you. <laughs> I'm, like going, I'm like going. I'm like going. Sorry. Wrong key. We'll do it next year. We'll do it next year. We'll do it. Happy we'll do birthday, it next year. Craig.